0: Everyone and welcome to the Two Gals in a Mic podcast. I'm your host, Sue Kerver, and today I am thrilled to welcome Stacy McKinney to the show. Stacy, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Sue. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you. Now, you have a really interesting story. You retired from the army after serving three tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. Um, And now you're a special education paraprofessional in middle school and in between the army and the work that you're doing now, helping all of those young kids, you adopted two beautiful children of your own while you still were on active duty. And to top it all off, you've juggled all of this as a single mom. So I want to start with the obvious question, girl, how do you
1: balance all of it? It was really hard in the beginning. I was also working on my master's degree when I decided to adopt my son. And so I was working full-time as a major in one of the major commands in the army. I was going through the adoption process, got him adopted and was working on my final semester in grad school for my MBA. That was quite the juggle. I had a lot of wonderful, wonderful friends and family who were very supportive. I was able to graduate with my MBA literally my first Mother's Day weekend.
0: Why did you decide to adopt?
1: When I was 25, I felt like I'm never going to meet Mr. Wright. So I told my family... If I was not married by the time I was 29, I was going to find a way to become a mother. I got married at 27. We went through several different ways to try to adopt. We were turned down from adoption agencies because I deployed as the mother, which was quite shocking and felt very uh, discriminating because they wouldn't have turned us down if my husband had been the one that was deploying.
0: Okay. So just to be clear, you're going through this process as you're on active duty in the army.
1: I did that when I was married first. So that was my reasoning for adopting. It was 10 years later when I came home from my very last deployment, I made the decision to adopt, which was really hard on my dad because he was very in the thought that Every child deserves a mom and a dad. So it took me a couple of weeks to process that. And I came back and said, you know, dad, I agree with you. Every child does need a mom and a dad. And if God does not want me to have children, I will not become a mom. If he does, then he knows I have the right men in my life to help me raise them.
0: You're coming back, you said, from your last deployment. And at this point, you're no longer married. It sounds no, like. I'm no longer married. Okay. So you're making this decision as a single person, as a single woman. I did. So you've got your dad on the fence.
1: Yeah. Well, and then he, he did get on board. And so I started the process to adopt internationally. When you adopt, you go through this completely ridiculous, but necessary amount of paperwork and background information that they want to know. They want to know financials. They want to know how you're relationship was with your family growing up. And then they want to, they look at every financial thing that you have. They want to make sure you can take care of this child. So had a wonderful home study agency. When she went to write my home study certificate and my packet, she was like, okay, we're getting ready to do it. Do you want to do international or domestic? And I completely just changed like on that spot. I was like, just do it domestic. Why? A lot of countries will not allow a single woman to adopt.
0: And at this point, you've already gone through 10 years of this process because you you started the thought back when you were married and then you went through 10 years, you went through multiple deployments, you went through clearly a divorce. So I can imagine that that would have been a really hard thing.
1: Oh yeah, it was not easy, but it was the best decision for me to make. I became um, eligible to adopt one December... 2011. I called in the spring of 2012 to the Department of Social Services about becoming a foster parent. I became a foster parent in July. I would do what's called respite, and I would take care of children for short periods of time for either parents that needed a break from their children as they were trying to maintain custody of their children, or I would also do it for other foster families that were going out of the state and different things like that. So I had quite a few fosters come through my home.
0: Why did you decide fostering after you became adoption eligible? Was it in your purview for those 10 years when you were thinking about adopting?
1: It really wasn't. It wasn't until I got back also from that deployment in 2010. That I really wanted kids in my house. I wanted to hear the laughter. I wanted to have the conversations if they were teenagers. I wanted to be that person that they could say, I know who I can go to and who I can trust. I knew I had that kind of home, even on active duty. Plus, there were no guarantees, even though I was adoption qualified, that I would find a child within a certain time frame. I, I think they're good for like 18 months.
0: So you're on a timeline. I mean, you're, you're in December, you get your eligibility 18 months starts from that point. And by t- the time springtime rolls around, you're like, you know what? I'm going to look into fostering. So now you've got kids coming in. Tell us a little bit more about that. What was it like to be a
1: foster mom?
0: And was it hard to see those kids?
1: Leave? Well, because I was only doing respite. It wasn't as hard. Um, I had one set of boys or brothers that I would get once a month. And I felt like I was the fun aunt because we would go to arcades and we go uh, to the movies and we would, you know, stay up late and we would play video games. And so that was fantastic for me. That's what I wanted. I had them for over a year once a month. I found out that Asher was going to be born a month later after I became qualified as a foster parent. That was very, very shocking. It was a friend of mine's daughter who had heard about this mom who was looking for somebody. And after I got off the phone with her daughter, the birth mom called me and we hit it off really, really quickly. She was such a cheerleader for me. She was just giving me advice because she had four older kids and he was number five. At that point in time, she was also a single mom and had a son that was uh, nonverbal autistic at the time, and then three other children. I think just financially, mentally, emotionally, and physically, she just couldn't handle a fifth child. So she's a wonderful mother, and we have a really good relationship.
0: So Stacy, I really admire you because, to be honest with you, for a long time, I had considered fostering um, and or adoption. And I was a single woman and I could not get past my own fear of doing it. And I don't know if it was fear of feeling like I wouldn't be able to do it by myself or fear of, um, messing up or inadequacy. I'm not really sure, but I just have so much admiration. How did you, did you have fear? How did you get past it?
1: My only fear was that it would never happen. It had nothing to do with fear of being a single parent because I have such a phenomenal support system. My sister already had two kids, so I knew I could always call her for advice. My mom was a fantastic mother, and so I knew I could call her for advice.
0: So does Asher know his biological mom?
1: He has not met her. He does have a full biological sister and full biological brother, and two half-brothers, he has played video games with his biological siblings, both of them.
0: But he doesn't fully know his origin story at this time.
1: Right? Uh, no, he does. Oh, he does? My Both of my children have vast knowledge of their adoption. It was not something I was going to keep from them. I made books of photos for Asher, for his birth family.
0: Now, Stacey, you just mentioned that you have another... Child I whom you brought in through adoption as well. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that one.
1: I let my social worker know that I wanted Asher to have a sibling. He was about 18 months old when I gave that information and found out that Anna was on her way and was due in November. With foster care, it's never a guarantee. In Anna's case, it wasn't a guarantee, but it was a very high percentage that she would end up staying and being able to be adopted by me. The birth parents had already lost custody of one child to another family who we have a really good relationship with. I ended up with my daughter when she was four days old. However, we do have a wonderful relationship with the birth mom. I think we get to see her but about once a year.
0: So how is it for you, Stacy, when you interact with their birth parents? What kind of emotions do you have, or is that an easy thing for you? And it's just kind of natural at this point.
1: I never had any issues with Asher's birth mom. We had, we just really had a great connection with Anna's birth parents. Now I have no issues talking to her. She's very delightful. She has a lot to say. She's just had so much trauma in her past that it's really hard to be mean or to resent. She's had a A rough life too. In this case, birth mom couldn't keep children or the baby safe from birth father. And she did what was best for Anna because they both actually voluntarily signed their rights away to Anna versus the judge taking them away.
0: So you clearly have a huge love for children. Did that influence your decision to work in special education? I'm curious about your path, and what you're doing now as far as work, what's the best part of this role that you're in now, working with special education children?
1: Funny enough, when I went in to interview for the position, or for the position within the school, I was actually interviewing to work in the library, and they called and said, hey, would you be willing to interview for these positions And said They had three different positions available in special education, and I was like, Absolutely. I'd never done anything with special education. They're not much different than some of the kids that come through foster care because of the trauma that they already have had in their lives. But the best part is just getting to know the kids. They can be so funny. Their personalities are just hilarious. Some we get that are very, very difficult. Other kids, they're sometimes very timid, and you can pull their personalities out of them. We also send a lot of our kids with um, intellectual disabilities out to what's called general education, which is your regular English, math, and we have grades six through eight. It's, it's juggling, but I have a great relationship with my teacher, a great relationship with the administration. It's probably the best job I've ever had.
0: What an interesting career path, right? To go from logistics in the army, and now you're working um, and you're pouring your heart out with all of these beautiful children. If there was one thing that you wish that you had known, whether it was as you progressed on your career path or through the adoption process or whatever, one thing that you wish you'd known then, what would it be?
1: Can we come back to that question?
0: So Stacy, what's next for you? What are you thinking that you will want to achieve in the next few years?
1: I'm actually looking at potentially becoming a special education teacher. It is, is a potential because where I work and the county I work with, they work with James Madison University in the special education department in taking paraprofessionals that want to become special educators and sending them through school to do that.
0: Well, that's really exciting. How long would that take?
1: I already have a master's degree. So I would have to go and take all just the specialized classes and pass a few specific tests. There are praxis for specific things that you have to pass.
0: Completely achievable and definitely. absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. So aside from work, if you were to just think about... um, personal things that you might be interested in what's on your bucket list
1: I think I skied one time when I was like 18 and I would like to learn how to ski again uh, we live in the Shenandoah Valley so there's lots of mountains in the Blue Ridge Mountains and we live very close to a ski resort so I would like to get out and try skiing again
0: well Stacy, you know that there's a lot of skiing here in Bozeman too right? I, know, I, know, I know I know you got to come visit right Okay, so let's go back to just kind of thinking about where you're at now versus where you used to be. Like, if there's one thing that you wish that you had known back then, what would it have been?
1: When I joined the military, it was not something I was planning to do ever. The recruiter just happened to call me at the right time, and I was burnt out on college because I didn't take any time off after, high school and sometimes spontaneous decisions are not always the worst decisions you could make. I had a 22 year career on a, I'm tired of school. I'm going to join the army.
0: We didn't even talk about your time in the army. Is that, tell us a little bit about that. Like, was that something that you enjoyed? I mean, you did a lot of deployments. I did.
1: I was the last class to go through basic training with all females.
0: An all female class?
1: Mm-hmm. And wow. then my sister came in two years later and she was in co-ed.
0: Did you and your sister ever have the opportunity to serve together?
1: Unfortunately, no. Tried. Okay. Really? We did try.
0: So this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, following your dreams and, um, maybe understanding that, Spontaneity, a little bit of spontaneity might not be such a bad thing. How about any other advice that you might have, Stacy? Any advice for our listeners who are maybe at a crossroads of wanting to move forward with something that could be really challenging or scary or they're uncertain about, um, but could maybe provide fantastic dividends? What would you say to those to those folks?
1: I would say go for it because you never know where it could go and if you don't try it you'll regret it i don't think i have done a whole lot in my life that i regret because of not doing it because if i wanted to do something i did it so go for it follow your dreams and once you've reached that dream move on to the next dream
0: that's awesome advice okay one last question for you. I just, I'm going to go back to kind of the the question that we started with. I mean, you juggle so much and you give so much of yourself and your heart and your love and just everything that, uh, to all of these kids, to your own kids, how do you achieve balance? How do you achieve your wellness? Do you have any like practical advice for things that you do that our listeners may, uh, may be able to incorporate as we all kind of juggle our own, our own lives?
1: Well, I just recently learned how to do meditation. It is one of my favorite things to do. I do it twice a day. It's amazing. It definitely helps you clear your mind and just gives you that peace your, your mind isn't always racing everywhere like mine normally would be. If I hadn't learned this, because I used to ping off the walls, not knowing where which one I should be doing first. Do I need to make our dinner plan? Should I be cleaning the kitchen? Should I start laundry? Or I would start laundry and not even finish sorting and I would go to the kitchen and start doing that. So it really helps you focus on one thing at a time. I've started incorporating, you know, my kids, they are old enough to help. And if they're like, Oh, am I going to get money for this? I'm like, no, because this is what families do. They do the chores that help everybody out.
0: Are they receptive to that?
1: They are. If they do something that I ask them to do, they'll do that. But if I was to say, Hey, go blow all the leaves in the With the leaf blower, I'd probably give them a few bucks or whatever. So during foster care, I have one more story. When Asher was 14 months old, I took in a four-month-old little girl, and Department of Social Services asked me if I would allow the birth mom to also move in with me and rent a room out of my house. I was very apprehensive and said, I'd like to meet her first. So I drove down to the Children's Hospital in Norfolk, and I met her. She was 19 absolutely made the decision to allow that to happen. And so now I essentially have a daughter who will be 30 in March and two grandchildren. I was very thankful that James city County thought outside the box because that's not something they would normally ask a foster parent to do,
0: but it paid off. You have this beautiful additional relationship.
1: I do. And we just saw them a few weeks ago.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I just love how you have been able to cultivate and maintain all of these relationships with people and normalize it so that they, while they may still be challenging, it's not insurmountable, right? So you have birth parents that are still in your life. You have all of these people and you're just continuing to build your network and build your community in this beautiful way. Well, thank you, Stacy, for spending time with us and for opening up about your sacrifices and your successes. You are such a gem and it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. So thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of these extraordinary stories from these extraordinary women. I'll see you next Friday for another edition of Two Gals and a Mic.